Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Good morning, church. Good morning for those listening on the line. Um, and greetings to all of you. Um, today is another special day, I believe. is uh, the day of the Lord, isn't it? Um, it's a day that is blessed because despite the rain, God is still in charge of our life. And when I mean despite the rain, that is also despite the rain and the, the rains in our lives. Um, how many of us sitting right now, listening online, believe that God loves us? I would have expected to see plenty of hands. And I guess it's the majority. So we all sit today believing that God, Jesus Christ, loves us. How many of us know the extent to which God is ready to go with us so that we can actually make our lifelong journey a successful one? Because this is a question that will somehow define our Christianity at any point in time. How much do I believe as a Christian that God is with me all the way, throughout all the journey that may be difficult, that may be just uneasy, but certainly, as Pastor Phil mentioned earlier, that is filled with challenges. It's funny because you're always cheap in the world that I'm going to give. So one of the things that Pastor Phil mentioned just a few minutes ago in introducing the DVD of hope is we always look forward with hope, but then many of us did not expect to go through so many challenges that we face today. And as much as I'm not trying to say what Louis Giglio wants to say, I've never seen that DVD actually, but I think that one of the ingredients which God has in his toolkit to help us make that journey is what I call a friendly fire. Because God is the refiner. The Bible knows him as such. God refines us because he wants us to have our you know, rough edges cut so that we can be fit for the kingdom, so that we can be ready to go when he presses the button. When he calls on us, we ought to respond. The question we have today is, as Christians, we are most of the time focused on the salvation aspect, on what God has done for us. We sometimes fail to look in the God master's plan, which is essentially making that race to the finish. And it means that once we are saved, there is still so much to do, so much to carry. And that is irrespective of how our mind is, is irrespective of how fit we are physically, is respective of the plan of God and is respective on how we allow that fire, the refining fire of God, to touch us and to shape us. So today what I've done, if you can open your Bible to the book of Malachi, I've looked at um, Malachi 3, 1 to 3, to try to articulate something I believe God is, is really fond on. So we'll look at Malachi 3, 1, depending on which version you have, but I will read from the New King James Version. He says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, 
Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 2. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer to the Lord an offering of righteousness. I'm sure you will figure out that this scripture is um, having twice uh, the word refiner, God being a refiner, God being a refiner's fire, using the fire to refine us. But then, I think before we, we touch on that, I want you to, I want to tease a bit your mind. Why will God, who is so loving, who has made us to be born again, who has, when we have accepted him, we are born again, why does God still need to refine us? Why, 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 why the need to refine us? The Bible tells us that we are not perfect. That's the reason. The Bible also tells us that Christ is coming again, which is gone to prepare a place for us. But do you know that in Christ doing his own assignment, his own given assignment, to prepare a place for us. He expects that those for who he prepared the place for will be keen, willing, and ready, and fit to enter. That's it. And that's why the Bible tells us, walk out your feet with tremble, you know, walk out your salvation with fear and trembling. Because it's not only just say that it's a guarantee that I'm saved and that's it. There are things to be done that God expects. You see, God does not refine us to destroy us. He does refine us to develop us. He does not refine us to break us. He does refine us to make us. Faith in Jesus, again touching upon what Pastor Phil just said a few minutes ago, faith in Jesus Christ does not mean we will be remote from any problems or any challenges. It's not a message that the gospel gives. The gospel gives the message that once you have accepted Christ, once you have known that you are a sinner and you are repenting from these sins, in Christ Jesus, you are saved and have a new But the gospel does not say we won't have any problems. So God sometimes uses many things to refine our faith so that we can prove worthy to be called his children. It's one thing to say I'm born again, but it's one thing to walk daily the Christian walk. And that is the very difficult bit that we do have. And to tell you the truth, we do tend to fail. And God knows it. In fact, we have an unholy cycle of sinning against God, then repenting as long as we hear the Holy Spirit, then sinning again. But yet God is merciful. And that's why he has these refining to the kids. Because he does not want us to continue on sinning. And he wants us to be not only bachelors, but certainly better than eligible for the room that is prepared for us. Amen. So if we took at an example, looking at an example, the children will go to school. Every single time, children will go to school, people will go to the uni, they get assessed. Year-end, mid-term, they get assessed. Why do they get assessed? The purpose of this assessment is for them to demonstrate that indeed they have understood the concepts. They've got the knowledge and they can demonstrate it. God assesses us spiritually. 
He assesses us spiritually in terms of how we will respond to the challenges that come. He assesses us every single time to demonstrate that we have understood what faith means, what trust in God means, what it means to have to be long-suffering and patient. That's the king that we serve. These are assessments we cannot do without. In fact, trust me, you will not want to do without. Because what shows us robust, to be robust Christians, is how we can demonstrate that we can pass the test as and when it comes. How can we meet the instruction from the Bible to add to our faith seven elements if they are not tested? Second Peter 1, 5 to 8 say that we need to add to our faith. A pillar of faith, we need to add virtue, then knowledge, then self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, love. And that is irrespective of what you are going through. So God is a God who loves. Why did I take the book of Malachi? It's just to try to establish a couple of facts. First, as I say, God loves us. But certainly we need to remember that God is our creator. And that's the perspective we have. We need to remember that there are certain concepts I believe we need to refresh ourselves in so that we can move forward. If somebody has a doubt of, am I really the creature of God? Then maybe he needs to understand really who God is. So God is our creator. Isaiah 64, 8 tells us that God is our father. In fact, it tells us even that we are the clay and God is the potter. So if we say that we are the clay, if we make that statement to God, we are the clay, it means we give the right to God to shape us, how he wants to shape us, however he wants to do it, whenever he wants to do it, that's what we are doing. The only difference with the, the natural is that once the potter does a piece of work, he drives up and then he's fit for usage, and then he falls, he breaks. But God does not allow that breakage. That's the difference. He shapes us every time. He puts us back, we shape again. Puts us back. And we don't fall. We can fall, but we will not break. Because God is with us. That's the difference. But God tells us that he's our father. Ephesians 2, 10a is another element I want to bring forward before, before we, we discuss what Malachi says. He says, we are the workmanship of God. Which means we are a special product specifically designed for a specific assignment at a specific point in time. That's the workmanship that we are. And it means also that it cannot always be work in progress. There is an element where you've been defined for carrying out such tasks. Either you are fit for carrying that task or you are not. But you cannot break down every time the designer the, you know, wants you to carry the, the task. We cannot break down every single time. Because then it's not a good tool. Okay? But let's remember that we are God's workmanship. Psalm 103, it says something. It says, notice that the Lord is God. He is the one who made us. I want to really emphasize on God being our father and God making us. Because, you see, I've asked you a question when you came in, you know, in this church this morning or when you logged in. It was, do you realize that you are God's special people? Because you do not see that nobody. You see it as precious in the eyes of God. God is fond of you individually. He has written you on the palms of his hand. He knows you by name. He knows the hair on your head. He knows you. Your physical, spiritual, emotional DNA, he knows it. So God is a father who loves us and who cares for us. He cares for us. He means 
that you can have problems, but God cares for you. First Peter five eight says that uh, First Peter five seven sorry says that God cares for us. It even goes furthermore in the Bible saying that God is mindful of us. Psalm eight three to four says that God is even mindful of us. What are we that is mindful of us? And then the Psalm 115, 12 says that the Lord has been mindful of us. Then he goes on, he will bless us. These are facts. These are things that we hear every day. We worship, so we see that on the songs. But he doesn't register. And I want it to register today. Because when we look at the refiner's fire, we will really understand that there is a motive for that fire. And let me tell you that when we look at the fire, that's one of the key elements for purification. Purification because it brings out what is deep down within a specific object or person. The fire is best equipped to do that. And if God were not to use that fire, he would certainly find something else. There are certainly other things that God can use. But that fire has been there from the word go. That fire will be there until the last day because God uses it so that we can be a bit more like him daily. It is important that we understand that then, because God loves us, as I said, he has plans for us. He started with salvation, as I said. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says that it is by grace that we've been saved. Through faith, not our selfless reminder, we, we, we haven't done anything special. We keep on hammering in this church the power of grace, the power of the grace of God in our life. It's something that once you get out of this door and you live your weekly life and you have your weekly challenges and you see your colleagues and mates and families, do you remember that the grace of God is upon you? In fact, in the prayer team, we were praying this morning and one of the things that um, our dear sister Grace mentioned is the renewal of the mercies of God. Everything is new. And if you wake up every morning knowing that everything is new, then you are not condemned by what happened badly the day before. Then you are not less hopeful than you were yesterday. You had a look with more hope into the future and into what God wants you to do. It is very important we understand about these mercies being renewed. Then, as I said, from the salvation we need to move on to the good works. So, going back to Ephesians 2.10, we are workmanship, and then the second part of that verse is created for good works which God prepared us beforehand that we should walk in them. And we can break it down as much as we want. Moving on to good works is not evil work. It's not lousy done work. It's not faithless works. It's not works that do not carry out anything. It's not works that do not have any output. There needs to be an output. There needs to be something quantifiable when God gives us an assignment. And he says that is actually what we are prepared for beforehand. Beforehand is means before even we were born, God knew that that specific task, that specific job, that specific ministry, I wanted to give that to that person. And then he says that we should walk in them. So again, some have been called, others desire to do the work, but very few commit fully to it until the end. Some back off because it's too difficult. Ask Pastor Phil. He's a young minister. He's doing extremely well. He's recognized even within the LG. It's not just to praise him, but the Bible said to recognize the gift that is in people. But the gift will not be recognizable if we pull away every single time 
it is impossible. God has put us in, and he puts us in hot water, not so that we melt completely, but so that we bring out the best. So it is interesting that the Bible says that we should walk in them. And then, again, one of the key works that we know, which is a good work, which is part of one of the pillars as a version, as a, as a pillar in terms of the vision of this church, is about evangelism. And then, again, we can recall, everybody knows that, yes, we've been called to go into the world and to share the good news. You need to share the good news if you know yourself what the good news is. You don't know what the good news is, how can you share it with people? You need to understand that good news, first of all, apply it to yourself, and then share it to other people, otherwise it's ineffective. So that is another good work we need to do. And then I believe that God, when he starts with salvation, then moves us on to good work as a purpose that we finish the race, to obtain our crown. We can finish the race to obtain a crown that God has laid upon, that has, God has laid ready for us. And when Christ says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, well, there is also that crown. So the place is ready, the crown is there, all the other angels ready to now worship you, and you're ready to worship the King of Kings. Amen. So these are facts for me, which are some of the things I wanted to really make sure we understand. Now let's move on to God's expectation. Because the refiner's fire, as I say, it has a purpose that is, you can probably say dual. The purpose to make us better, better fit to the kingdom, but the purpose also that we can continually, you know, impact our entourage. So that, you know, I, I use the term rough edges. So those who have the green end, the, the, you know, and I thank Lee Kilbury for that, you know, they can cut grass, they do nice garden, not nice, I can't look at my garden, you will feel sorry for me. But the truth is, there are rough edges everywhere. And sometimes what makes a difference in the valuation of a property can just be that, right? Even if the inside is junk, we don't care. Well, I like the garden, I like the edges, it's all trim, tidy. It means that they know what they want. There are people who are tidy. Now get inside and you will know. The reality is, these edges make us unfit. The Bible says that, you know, physical training profits but he only profits a little. Spiritual training through the refiner's fire is much more beneficial for us. It's a long-term aim. You know all these big athletes, and in fact, if you look at the World Cup, some of, some of our, our players, when I say our players, you know, I'm originally from Cameroon, but don't even talk about Cameroon's performance at the World Cup. But some of the players, they go in Brazil, it's so hot, They've been trained for, they are, they are, they are professional athletes, so they, they are really physically fit. You know, it's not like me, I can't run, run two meters. These guys are fit, they are like machines, yeah? And then they come in another environment, and all of a sudden they can't last more than 50 minutes. They tend to run for 130 minutes in the Premier League, and they can't run for 50 minutes. Well, it means that the environment also affects the performance. With God, God is aware that the environment in which we are, I say the world in which you are, do not think yourself as children of that world because you do not belong to that world. You belong to me. And as belonging in the kingdom, or as part of the kingdom, I have purpose that you do works. And for you to be able to effectively carry that work out, I will refine you along the way. Do you accept it, my son and my daughter? Yes, sir, we do. Thank you. So we can then move on. God is... That purpose, that's the way God wants. There are expectations from God. Truly, there are expectations from God, which is what we like to block our ears to. I will mention just a few expectations from God. The first one is God has called us to holiness. 
Holiness. Ah, here again you come. Holiness. What does it mean to be holy? What does it mean to have that standing before God to be holy? We know we are not holy. We know we sin every time. We know our thoughts are not in shape. But God still calls us for holiness. And I think I want to just articulate it very clearly on holiness. Because there is an element which is actually a bit scary in terms of Christians' assessment. Which, um, so basically, in terms of holiness, there is somebody who just say that holiness does no longer make sense for Christians. Holiness is viewed as an attitude in church and not an attitude outside church. Holiness is viewed as a vitrine as opposed to be an inside status. Holiness is not understood because what we do behind the scenes is far from being holy. Now, if that's a Christian's report on the attitude, you have all sorts of studies about Christianity and the way it is lived. But if holiness is looked as a way to undo us, then we need to question how we stand with God. Because the Bible tells us something about God. He's a holy God. God no, does not stand sin. He cannot stand sin. He's holy. In the Old Testament, you used to have a place called the Holy of Holy. So should I say double purification before you enter the place? Probably more than double. The reality is that you could not enter the Holy of Holy where the presence of God was carelessly. Today we attend meetings in churches. We attend conferences so carelessly. Today, we are not even sure on what it means, the word holy. Today, when we try to sort of stand before God, we know we cannot look at self, ourselves as God looks us because there will be tags and marks and everything that will hinder that vision. That's the way we live our Christianity, and God knows it. Now, one of the things, again, going back to the grace of God, I'm grateful for this because through the grace of God, to the mercies of God, the Bible tells us we are not consumed. I mean, people who held just the chart of God, carelessly got consumed and burnt. That was it. But we can today handle the affairs of God in a careless way. But God forgives. God forgives but wants us to move on with him. And that's why it is very important that we have understood as Christians the purpose of carrying out good works, but meeting the expectation of God for holiness. God has expectation that we should be holy. He say 1 Peter 6, 1 Peter 1.16, be holy for I am holy. Our lifestyle is expected to be holy living, not just holy singing, not just holy speaking, not just holy preaching. If I preach here, and Timothy says, or Paul says, I preach here today, and I go and do some otherwise, then I'm disqualified. Disqualification exists. And because we do not see that materialized day after day, we probably don't have our head on that, or our mind on, on, on it. But we certainly do not want to be disqualified come the day. We want to be the people that God says, come, you and faithful servants. Come, take your place. God expects us to be righteous. Right standing with God is primordial. You know, I have a T-shirt. Somebody went to America sometime. I think I was still a student. And, you know, I said, oh, can you bring me back that pair of Timberland? It looks nice. I can't afford it in the U.K. I'll give you the money later. The person went to, the UK, to America on holidays. We are all students. Didn't have enough money. And then, at the last minute, the airport remember, oh, JL. Okay, what can I get? They got me a T-shirt. Probably a $5 t-shirt, but the meaning of that t-shirt, what is written on that t-shirt, is probably a life-changing t-shirt. Can it be a life-changing t-shirt? I don't know. 
But what was written there is, even if you are headed in the wrong direction, God does allow you to turn. That was the message on that. And believe you me, by the time I got that T-shirt, I was blessed more than having a pair of new Timberlands on my shoes for that winter. Right? Because I knew that as a child of God, I have a certain bandwidth for mistakes. That God will not just chop me off because I've made these mistakes. I knew that God will guide my steps. He's my shepherd after all. So I knew he will guide me where I need to go. And I knew he would then equip me with the right tool I needed to have. And that really tremendously blessed me. You see, when it comes to refiner's fire, when it comes to what God does, you have countless examples of people in the Bible who have been going through challenges and tests. Maybe similar type of challenges you are going through today. But they all responded. One way or the other, Jonah decided to respond in a different way until it got swallowed up and felt that, you know what, it smells too badly in that belly fish. Let me come out. Lord, I'm sorry. There are many people who decide to take the shortcut towards holiness and righteousness. With God, there is none. God takes the time to shape us. He takes the time to refine us. And you know what? And that's what is actually trivial. It increases the temperatures because he knows you can cope with him. He wants that out of you. The thing that makes you fall, the thing that ensnares you, he wants that out. Put the fire up. And then you're like, oops. <clears throat> More water, please. Doesn't quench it. Because God will not stop this fire until you can show to him you are ready to go with him. Am I saying that all what we are going through is because of God's fire? No. Sometimes it's our own making. But I'm saying that God used that fire very effectively. He tells you that he will not allow you to go under what you cannot cope with. So therefore, he will not increase the temperature to level where you will dissolve, evaporate. I don't know how we can get, I think there is a kind of cooking now, they call steam cooking. I've seen that before. I don't know what temperature they put. people are salivating. I haven't got any recipe, sorry. But I know that they use a kind of temperature to have a certain, you know, effect on the food that they are cooking. I think it's probably you have a small plate and it will probably be 5K, just what of testing experience. But God will not increase that temperature for you beyond what you can cope with. That's the comfort we should all have this morning. What is my situation? And in that situation, we need to ascertain, is that situation a situation that is derived from my own mistakes? Or is that a situation that God has brought my way to make me better, to shape me, to make me stronger, to make me purposeful? What is the type of the situation? I remember there was an AOG conference, um, was it last year, that we went to, and there's somebody who kept on saying, and I'm ringing, I've forgotten the name, that we need as Christians and our leader to be able to understand and identify what he called the spiritual environment. If you fail to understand that spiritual environment, the way some of our footballers do in Brazil, then you will fail to sort of deliver the required performance needed. Well, truly, we don't really perform for God. We are on service to God. But the analogy is similar, and I'm sure you understand where I'm going with that. We need to be able to understand what is making us fall, what is holding us back, what is making constantly, you know, refusing the instruction of God. Because another thing that God expects is obedience. And that obedience, God can use any fire to bring that obedience through. Oh, well, Nebuchadnezzar. He was so wicked, and at some stage he said, oh, actually, I think your God is a true God. 
he got that understanding. I think your God is a true God. But wickedness was so much in him that he decided to do other things and ultimately ended up being punished for it. There are elements where we cannot consistently disobey God. Because the Bible will tell you, then why do you call me Lord Jesus? You are my Lord, 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 Lord. And you do not do the things which I want you to do. Why do you call me Lord? If you are unable to obey me when I want you to obey me. I mean, there are elements in terms of spiritual maturity, and that's what the fire brings out of us. Because when I look, for instance, just at my son, Henri Josh, he's just turned two. And I'm like, yeah, carry on. You are just two. Let me, when you speak, and we can have that discussion, and I tell no, and you continue, then we will understand how we proceed from them. <laughs> right? There are certain things that we are babbling towards God. We are not saying things that are clear. And God says, because spiritually, we are like baby. We still need milk. We still need to be nurtured. He said, wait. I put that test around the edges, cut down, you move on, and then you show to me that, yes, you can do what I've asked you to do. Do you think you could have taken this ministry if you were not willing to? Because God is equipping you the more, but he has gifts that you are using. You are not shutting the door to these gifts. Sometimes we do. God loves us so much to let us mess up our own life. But there's something which we say with God. He will never, ever tamper with our own will. So that's something that we need to be mindful of when we look at how God has his expectation. Then there's something I want to articulate here, which is faith. We have spoken about faith. We touched a little bit on faith. But you see... The Bible teaches us that really faith is the evidence of the things that we hope for, the evidence of things not, see, not seen. The faith is what God always refines first. Can we trust him fully? To which extent can we trust him? He started a long time ago with Abraham. He's your son. How much can you trust me? How much has God asked of us? Just so that we could pass the test of showing we can trust him. How much can you release I want you to bless that person. Can you bless that person with prayer? Can you bless that person with money? Can you bless that person with time? Can you just separate yourself to intercede for that person? And we say, Lord, mm, let me think about it. God wants us, he, la- he loves to see faith in action. In fact, James articulated very well, you know, that without works, don't talk to me about faith. It's dead. It's, it's not evident. We can have all the faith that we want, but we need the works to back it up. And sometimes to do these works, you need still that faith. You cannot carry out the works God wants you to carry if you do not have that faith. We will touch on, on faith a little bit more because in the context of Malachi, it's very, very interesting what God is telling them. If you look at the first verse from Malachi, he's saying, Behold, I send my messenger. Read the verse before. And it's because the people were complaining, well, God, have you really left us? What's happening? What's going to happen with you? You know, all, all this. And he said, Behold. So please shut up, people, and be aware that I'm sending my messenger as promised. How many people today promise you that they will do something and they don't? God promised and he does. And he, he, he said, Hold me. Try me now and test me. You know, hold me on my promises. The promises of God fail not. That's what the Bible teaches us. So it is important that we can understand how God articulates the faith and the requirement he has for us. As children of the Most High God, I think these are things that we should understand. It is for people of faith. 
It is for people who are willing. It is not for people who are perfect because we are not, but it is for people who want to be God-like. And God who is perfect will give us the tool to get there and how to do it. The Bible says in James 2, 14, what does it profit if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? He goes on in verse 17. Thus also, faith by itself, if he does not have works, is dead. Then verse 24 tells you that you see then a man is justified by, faith, by works and not by faith only. And verse 26, so as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Now looking at the refiner's fire, looking at God in his wonderful attribute of being the almighty, looking at God in his wonderful master plan, and looking at the tiniest, trying to dodge that wonderful master plan. We need to understand that by faith, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So if we are not applying faith, then it means that we, we are not trying to please God. Maybe we are trying to please ourselves. There are people who have been asked to launch in deep water, not knowing how deep the water was. You may be in a situation today where you don't see the end, when you don't even see how tomorrow will unfold, when you don't know whether you will have food on your table, when you don't know if your children will actually make it, where you have so many worries financially, where you don't know how you will be able to pay the next rent or mortgage. That's possible. It is not beyond God to sort out. And sometimes God wants you to remove your eyes from that mountain and to focus up to him. For he is able to turn everything for the good of those who loved him and who are called according to his purpose. So now he brings back to what's your purpose today as a Christian? What's my purpose right now? Do I understand who I am in Christ? Do I understand who I want to be in Christ? And is it aligned with what Christ wants me to be in him? Because if there is a disconnect, then we need to reassess ourselves. That's what I'm trying to bring out to you. The fire that you are receiving sometimes is not because, well, you just need to be. You can prevent it, but you can certainly show to God that you are willing. You cannot run the race from day one. You need to, first of all, look at the racetrack, understand the distance, and probably gauge the effort. God is with you all the way. So if you are at the beginning of that track, if you have just started your Christian walk, just still cry unto him. If you have thousands of years' experience in running the race and then never made it to the finish line, still ask him to help you. And if you are actually sort of crawling towards the finish line, then still ask God to help you. Because he's there. Because he loves you. Jeremiah 17.10 is the best to explain the view or the mindset of God. He said, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. Even give each man according to his way, according to the fruits of his deeds. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. Why will God say that he tests the mind if for him the output of that testing was irrelevant? God tests the mind not for himself. He tests the mind 
so that you can understand who you are in Christ. We all need to really take that call seriously. We all need to ensure that we can be refined. The Bible in Ephesians 5, 25 to 27 says, God refines us so we can be presented to him in splendor without spot, without blemish. That's the purpose of God. Ah, I get it now. God wants to present me as his bride without spot, without blemish. Father, I've looked after him. Father, I've trained him. Father, is fit. Father, where do you want to use him or her? Oh, yeah, it's got rough edges. Oh, yeah, he doesn't respond to my calls. Oh, but don't worry. I will send some tests, some challenges, and I will make sure that he understands what I want out of him. That's what God looks at so that he can present you back to God without any blemish. The accuser is at work so many times, so many days, 24-7, to accuse you, to destroy you, to kill your faith. But God is still watching. God is still with you. God is still purposeful in terms of what you can achieve. God refines us so we can be presented to God, to him in splendor. I don't know what's our understanding of splendor. It's something we are in awe of, something that is amazingly beautiful. And that's the way God wants to present us. So it means that we are not actually at this stage yet. Titus 2.4, he said that Christ himself gave himself up to redeem us from all lawlessness and purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. A people for his own possession who are zealous for good work. So beyond the Sunday, how zealous are, you, are we for good works? Beyond Sunday, how much of God's input do we digest? Beyond Sunday, how much of prayer time do we have with God? That's the kind of challenges that have to come. For us, we have to just gradually progress towards that state where it's not because we pray that things negative will not happen for us, but similarly, they will not undo us. It is, a, it is Kevin, Kevin the Young who says that the worldliness in our home and the spiritual immaturity in our church, in our churches, make it very difficult even for pastors today to advise their fall. It makes it very difficult. Because you know what? I don't like hearing criticism. I don't like hearing criticism. Many people take criticism badly, even the constructive one. God does not criticize us. He edifies us. He builds us up. He strengthens us. But he will still show us, that is not right, my son. That is not good, my daughter. That is is it really what I've called you for? The way we respond to that word from God and the way we decide to do that U-turn is what will dictate how successful we are in God's kingdom. Because if we say, God, I've had enough. God, I can't carry anymore. That's fine because you are still crying out to God and he will respond to you and show you what to do. But if you decide to cry out to family and friends, who sometimes mean very well, but are clueless about the things of God. You set yourself for a hole from which we'll not even be able to come out with in due course. At times we do forget the miracles that God has done in our life. 
My wife said sometime, something before which really, you know, sort of tickled me. She said, we Christians tend to forget the biggest blessings that we've ever had. We tend to forget we have God. I mean, truly, we tend to forget we have God. If as a Christian, you forget your piece of gold, then you can't purchase anything good. Then you can't succeed any challenge. Then you can't look at situation and say, well, they are just temporary. Then you can't know that God is there along the track. We cannot forget it. You see, what is the difference between silver and gold? Is that silver takes just so much and is blunt easily when it comes to, you know, being at work. Gold, once it's been refined, and it is refined at a set temperature, it is a specific piece of jewelry which goes from 18, 9, 18 carats or whatever. The carat is the purification of that gold, the process behind it. And you want to be 24. What's the maximum? I don't even know. Right? You want to be that specific drill in God's eyes because you are already, but God is just refining you. So let him refine you to be that heavy stone that is always going to shine at any point in time. The darkness will not be able to overpower you. The challenges will not be able to make you fall. You will not be able to say, Lord, I have enough. Because you will know that you are really that pearl, that specific piece of jewelry in the eyes of God that he cares for, that he's fond about, and that he has purpose for great things. That's the God that we serve. You see, I just want us to go back to the basics of what our Christianity means. We have different experiences. We will all have the same end. And hopefully that end will be in the kingdom, sitting or worshiping God. But we have different ways of getting there. Israel had a way of getting there that was along the way made of disobedience. Along the way they lost time. Along the way they applied um, doubt. Go and take your territory. Oh, but there are giants in the land. We can't. Oh, but I have made it for you. But yes, just go. Just, just, just go. Oh, well, we are not sure we want to go. Right? So dragging a fit. Okay, right. Oh, so how is the, 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 the land? Oh, well, you know, some people say, well, it's good. It's looking good. And others say there are giants in the land. Are you looking at your giants today? Or are you looking at the promises that God has given you? Because that's the different mindset, different focus, and different outcome. What are we looking at? When we see that fire, what are we looking at? Complaining that God is refining us? Or saying, God, I thank you. <clears throat> it hurts, but I thank you. What do we do? God is there, remember? I looked at this basic because I know that my God shall supply all my needs. I know my God is Jehovah Jireh. I know my God will always come good when he comes to me. I know I can call on him anytime and he will show up. That I know. I have a direct phone line with him. I know. Without faith, I cannot please him. He will continue to search my heart and will continue to show me the way to go. But I need to respond to that. I want to really touch on very, very quickly if you don't mind, to um, the example of um, Zechariah. Ezekiah. And you don't have to open your Bible, but the story of Ezekiah is quite particular. Because I think that when you look at the story of that king, he's a king who reigned in Jerusalem for 29 years. At this time, I don't know whether you were be able, you, you, except from debt. I don't know whether somebody could have said, yeah, sack you from your job. Today, if you do a job and you last one year, then, you know, you can celebrate that anniversary. You can put your status on Facebook or LinkedIn, 
one year in that job because it's an achievement. He did 29 years being king of the people that God had just set free. So for 29 years, he was the king of Israel. Guess what? He was under his watch. Assyria came to invade him. 185,000 soldiers invading him, closing the land. Then what he did, he remembered he had a God. He cried out to his God, and God responded. Now, don't think for a moment you can cry out to God, he doesn't respond. There are certain prayers that we, we pray for ourselves, which sometimes one of my pastors used to say, he doesn't leave the roof of where you are. But the prayer from the heart, the prayer that is genuine, the prayer that is backed by faith, the prayer that is acknowledging who God is, who is able to turn around any situation, that prayer God answers. And God then sent an angel, sent one single angel against 185 troops. Overnight, they were gone. So is it your mountain that is really too difficult for God to handle? Is it that? One angel overnight, just for a moment, the enemy was gone. The affliction was gone. And then Ezekiah was good. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And we are all like this, right? God has done something. God has done a miracle in our life. Hallelujah. I will praise the Lord all my life. And then later on, going to Second Chronicles, you find out Ezekiah becomes proud. And then he falls ill. Critical illness. The Bible doesn't recall cancer. It's a critical illness. And he is going to die. Then he calls the man of God. Please pray for me. Please pray for me to the God Almighty. The God who heals. The God who delivers. Pray for me. And the man of God prayed. And then... God extended his life by 15 years, not by two months. Even two months is great anyway because God has life in his, the power of his hands. By 15 years, he extended his life. And then everybody is amazed in the kingdom. Babylon is amazed. Let's go and send our spies, our envoys. Let's send a couple of guys over there. They sent the envoys. They come to Ezekiah, what has happened? We want to understand that great miracle that the Lord has done for you. And you know what Ezekiah does? He shows them around. He shows them all the treasure he has acquired in his kingdom. The Bible recalls there is not any single treasure Ezekiah did not show to this envoy. Why are you showing that for? We come to understand what God has done. Just testify. Has it happened to you that instead of testifying, you go on, on vibes that are irrelevant to show how good you are, how clever you are, how you were able to navigate the situation without struggling, not giving the glory to God? He does it. Ah. So then, second time, God said, all this treasure, there will be none that will be left in Jerusalem. None. Everything got taken away. And he still remembered his God. So the point is, his life is that of up and down. The Bible recalls, actually, that Ezekiah, there was no king like him. There was no king like it before him, no king like it afterwards, in terms of the trust he had towards God. He trusted God like anything else. And believe you me, for people to manage people who are sometimes headstrong, it takes much more than prayer. It takes also Patience to see how God can use you. 
and to, to see the plans of God, to see the vision coming true, to see the purpose of the, 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 the world coming true. 29 years. God is not restricted by the time, by the amount of time, by the amount of struggle, by the amount of, of problems we've got. He's not restricted by that. What he wants us to know is that he's able to offer us that ultimate reward if we just want to shape up. That shaping up, please do not show to me, do not show to Pastor Phil, do not show to your other brothers and sisters in church that you are shaping up. It's good to see, but ultimately it's a personal relationship with God. And I think we all need to remember that when we are being refined, we can cry. That's fine. But we need to understand what the purpose is. We need to understand that only the beauty will come out of it. Only the beauty. Many people fail their test. I've failed so many tests. I'm not talking to you about the one at schools. I don't want you to look down on me. <laughs> I don't want to talk to you about the one in my personal life. God knows, and I will keep it for my own corner. But we all fail tests. But we shouldn't be downcast because God knows we are failing and there will be a time we will not fail. There will be a time that we will be ready. Is God today telling you be ready? Or is God today telling you that, look, I want you to go through the next one? Can I please just go back to Second Peter 1, 5 to 8? I just want to elaborate on that before, before we close. And something when I actually picked up this scripture really came up to me, which might not be too much of a revelation, but is a very key point that the Bible wants to articulate. Now, for this very reason, let's just assume that for the very reason that we go through life and that life is not smooth. Let's make it simple that way. For this very reason, add to your faith. And let's stop there. Faith is the key pillar for our work with God. And that's why it is only to faith that you will add such things. Now, each and every single virtue or attribute or character that is there, add to your faith virtue. Virtue, knowledge. Knowledge, self-control. I will have to stop at self-control. The point is, we cannot progress from one to the other without having been tested for each one of them. We cannot say that we have virtue we are, we are without really being tested for it. And sometimes we are tested by even people who are close to us. Sometimes even by people who are not even godly people. Sometimes by situations which, wow, where is that coming from? But God still has every single thing under control. Self-control. For those of you who are married, and I like to... To, to, to always joke with my father, you know, how, how, how have you made, how did you work out? You, how, how, what did you do for your marriage to be that long and successful? Well, self-control is one of the key things you first learn attend during marriage, marital life. Right? You need to be self-controlled. You are not just doing things for yourself. You are doing things for your family. And I'm sure that all the men and equally, all the women will identify to that. Because when you have disagreement or misunderstanding, that's where self-control comes to the fore. Because you need to shut it up and listen. Right? If your spouse speak, you speak back, it becomes, in French, we have the term cacophony. I don't know what it is in, in English. Some will probably know, right? 
It is noise that is being made. Nobody understands each other, but everybody shout the louder. That's the way we discuss in Africa, by the way. Yeah? But you need to just shut up. I hear you. Can I say something? Yes, you can. Or you may not. Okay, good night, and you go to bed. But the reality is self-control will come through testing. <laughs> it's true. It will come through testing. In friendship, oh, this is my best pal. And your best pal does something you don't like, then go and say he's my best pal again. Then you will know. Now, because you will want to tell him a piece of your mind. That's self-control. <laughs> and then you say, perseverance, me? Why, you've betrayed me. Why will I persevere in, in praying for you? Why will I persevere on my knees? In fact, Mel and Aiden and all who, who, those who are street pastoring, they don't have perseverance. I'm sure Mel will tell me, don't even go on the streets. You can't do that without perseverance. You see things, you don't want to condemn, you don't want, you want to be the person God uses for the lives of these people. Persevere. And it means that do not look at the shortcomings or the shortfalls of other people. But you persevere in doing something you need to do because God wants you to do it. And that's why the Bible tells you, do not grow weary while doing good. For in due time you will reap if you do not lose heart. Then we move to godliness. And we touch upon godliness. Godliness is a day-to-day thing. It's a day-to-day thing. And this is what the fire refines, really, that godliness. Because the Bible says that when Christ comes, we will be like just as he is, holy and beautiful and, you know, in all his splendor. I don't know if I will have hair, if he will be blonde, if he will be shining. I don't know if I will have anything else. But I know I will be in splendor by God's grace. And that's what we should aspire to be. So, brothers and sisters, the conclusion of this today is just to understand that God loves you. The principal elements of our faith should not distract us from the struggle that we are going through. It should never distract us. What is important is we remember that God has expectation in terms of holiness, righteousness, obedience, trust, faith, perseverance, and readiness. Be ready in season and out of season to do that which God wants you to do. It is very important. It is important to understand that God will not leave us on our own. In fact, he says he has deposited, the, he has given us his friend, the, the, our best friend, the Holy Spirit, so that he can help us in our weaknesses. It is important we understand that God is a God who cares, because if you think he doesn't care, then maybe you haven't got you know, a proper understanding of what Christianity and the gospel is about. Jesus cared, and that's why he came. Jesus cared, and that's why he died on the cross of Calvary. Jesus cared because that's why he has you in his mind. That's why he fights your battle. That's why he vindicates your adversary, because God is, he vindicates you. That's why God does it, because he cares. And today's situation is not how the future will unravel, but it will just show that God is really faithful and good to deliver on his promises. And his promises is that I go and prepare a place for you. When Malachi came and gave the message that God is a refiner's fire, he's like a refiner's fire, it means that allow his work to, to be done. Allow that fire to burn you through. He will not consume you. He will not destroy you. He will just make you stronger. Shall we pray? Thank you for listening and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.